0: listening to general intellect unit this time we're picking up the fourth and final part of our discussion of neither vertical nor horizontal if you didn't catch the first couple of episodes i'd recommend pausing this episode going back three and starting from there as always thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show
1: i think that next Major section here is this uh, section about the party. The afterlife of
0: the party. Yeah. What's the role of the party in the ecology?
1: Yeah. Um, So this is essentially looking at the turn towards electoral politics that came out of um, the failure of Occupy, right? Um, uh, You know, people sort of seeing, well... We couldn't achieve what we wanted through, um, mass demonstrations. Um, and so what we should do is instead try to, uh, change political organizations that are connected to the state and, um, make legislative changes, right? Uh, and sort of harkening back to the idea of the mass party, um, as uh the primary agent of social change like uh with we saw with like neo-kautskyism and um uh the 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 sort of um uh green new deal stuff uh the um uh in, um the the entry into uh labor of more activists and getting Corbyn elected as leader all this kind of stuff right that that's what we're talking about here um
0: yeah it's um yeah and like a lot of it is about like what what's the kind of in, in our ecological kind of conception of this stuff like what's the relation of the party to to the ecology um and well, and also, especially, like, given given the context where we, we just don't have a mass workers party anyway, right? So, like, a lot of the question of the party or whatever is, like, a little bit irrelevant because, like, in one case, um, he's, he's reading some author that, like, kind of proposes, like, that the party has, like, um, a coordination nexus in the ecology, and it's like, well, but we don't have it anyway, right? Like, so... If if we had a mass workers party, we could propose it as maybe fulfilling this role, but it's, it doesn't exist anyway. And like, if you if you identify a role, a, a, like a function that needs to be performed, right? Like we need we need various functions of coordination to be performed within the ecology. Then like, just build the function rather than building the party to do the function. It's like you know it, it it's not it just, it just doesn't quite work out. Basically, like
1: um... right because yeah you get like uh these, um so the the author that um you know, is talking about is uh, porcaro and uh says uh he would identify uh three flaws in his proposal um the first had been assuming that the mo- the sorry, the quote movement institutions the party connected were up to the task of reaching the masses when in fact they were predominantly the preserve of skilled intellectual workers and incapable of bridging the gap with their unskilled counterparts. The latter, in fact, belonged in their majority to a third element alongside self-organized society and the party that he had failed to consider until then, a, quote, people that consists of isolated individuals with a tendency not to associate through self-organization but in relation to a political goal, or still worse, in relation to a political leader. The second flaw had consisted in underestimating the role of the state and uh, further strengthened after the 2008 crisis, and thus overvaluing the strategic potential of a linear growth of social autonomy. The third finally had been excessive faith that clear strategies would naturally emerge out of pluralistic debate. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, um, this idea of the, um, connective party, uh, was meant to be a response to this. Um, and, uh, so he, he sort of proposed things like, um, bridging the gap with unskilled workers, uh, having movement institutions re- uh, work directly at the reproductive level, buyers, cooperative, self-managed nurseries and clinics, time banks, skill sharing spaces. Rather than waiting for strategy to spontaneously rise, plans and programs would be the result of the conscious action of specific political and intellectual groups that would take it upon themselves to rework the movement's plural debate into concrete proposals. Um, and uh, there would also be some provision of uh, services to people who could not be organized in any kind of mutualistic associations like, like uh, co-ops or whatever. Right. Um, uh, but the point that Newness makes is that um, the problem is, Whereas the first image, so this idea of using the party to connect up institution, uh, sorry, um, voluntary associations that would connect up the people, um, uh, identifies a function to be performed within conditions existing now. The second supposes that one has already solved precisely the two difficulties that the connective party was meant to address. The absence of a mass organization and the lack of a common vision. In the end, it is as if faced with the difficulties of evolving a party out of an ecology, Percaro had decided that an ecology could only be developed and integrated by a party. This has the appearance of a solution, since it names the subject that would be in charge of everything that needs doing, but is it a solution only in thought for as long as that subject does not exist? Um, Paparo is certainly correct in believing that movement ecologies can profit from further integration, but he lacks convincing reasons to make that integration synonymous with the party. After all, it is more likely that such an internally diverse party, as he imagined, uh, would be the result of efforts to integrate initiatives already in existence than the cause of that diversity. And it is at least conceivable that a highly integrated ecology would render superfluous an independent structure whose function would be to provide connection. So in the end, essentially, it's like um, uh, the party is a theoretical solution in search
0: of a problem. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of this is, right? That like the, the... It, 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 this, there's so much ink spilled about like trying to trying to save the notion of the party or whatever the fuck, and it's like, well, why? You know, like if you, if you need these coordination functions to be performed, like if you need a tightly integrated ecology, like as as he says, like it would rent that kind of ecology would just make irrelevant this like central or independent little structure who would supposedly provide the connection on which it depends, like. You know, you, you need to connect, you need a connected ecology in which, for which the parody to emerge, but then the party is supposed to be performing that service, like, what? It just doesn't really make any sense. It's all very cart before the horse, and it's like, the kind of libidinal investment there is just in the parody, like, the, the two words, right? Um... Why, why fucking bother? like build, build the functions, build the fucking ecology, and don't worry so much about the party. it's It's a kind of to me, a quite an obvious escape hatch to get out of this problem.
1: yeah, he dis, he does sort of like um bring up the idea of uh having a party that provides a service to the ecology in the sense that it interacts with the state. So it, it isn't it isn't doing the thing that um you know you, you sort of get start uh discussing and you know, like why the communist party is necessary of, of, of integrating struggles and, and providing coordination. It's actually more of a like spokesperson for the broader ecology to the state in a way that the state can understand, right? It's intelligible to the state. Um, uh, and, and so that's a much more secondary role than what is being proposed is like the, you know, the, the party is the thing that's going to make this all work. It's like, well, maybe the party could do this thing and not really much more than that. Um, uh, and then the, um, the other thing that's brought up is this idea of the digital party Um, and essentially the point here is that um, the digital party, you know, a party that sort of operates through an online platform is uh, has this, you know, characteristic to minimize internal bureaucracy replacing the territorial structure of local and regional branches and an ascending hierarchy of representation with a more fluid or evanescent structure based on informal groupings deprived of that degree of integration in and control over the central party that was proper to traditional political organizations. So and then you have a bunch of like local autonomous groups that are sort of affiliated with it. But um the point that he, he makes here is that uh this actually favors the right far more than it favors the left because um y- using these kinds of digital parties um you can have a, a sort of clientelistic um relationship to a unaccountable and uh sort of charismatic leader figure right like the the five star five star movement or the the Saint Castel uh the Selle movement that uh, was in Italy right um it, it, it it's it's been more successful in sort of like uh pulling up the ladder after that the the mass support got it into power um, and then just doing the sort of traditional right wing graph stuff because it could rely on sort of the mass of uh, uh atomized individuals that make up the people um to get into power uh, as a sort of like you know middle finger to the establishment um and then just go thank you very much uh and 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 go on and pursue the sort of normal right wing corruption shit um and uh the left it, it, for the, for these left parties to be viable they really need to have a um you know sort of what we've been talking about like a, this this kind of um uh moving around of leadership uh uh functions and uh more close integration and um you know means to prevent over concentration of power and all this kind of stuff which the digital platform doesn't really provide, and also like the sort of requirements for those things to exist um they don't really meet the situation of atomized individuals um in the way that like you know uh I'm gonna vote for this party for the memes uh kind of logic applies right,
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And like the 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 difference that makes a difference there is that like that it if you have an atomized social base that's not otherwise politically active anyway, then the leadership can get away with any old shit. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's the it's the classic uh, you know Marx talk about the sack of potatoes, right? Like a, 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 why the pez, why the peasantry tends towards um, uh, like um, monarchism and. Uh, uh, centralized power
0: as solutions to their needs. Whereas, if you have if you have an active social base that like can hold that kind of leadership to account, then like it being organized as a party is less relevant anyway, right? Like, and so the, if if you are talking about the party, it's a kind of like almost structurally right wing kind of institution in that like it it's a better fit for the right wing right wing graft than it is for the like active ecology of of left-wing forces right like it's once you're at the point where you're talking about the party you've kind of lost the battle anyway right (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah like if 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 you are seeing this organizational form as a solution in itself Mm -hmm. without connecting to the actual problems that we have right now um because like essentially, you know, um he, he mentions how like people who are campaigning for Bernie or whatever were constantly trying to sort of like patch together the prerequisites for a strong mass party which didn't actually exist and 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 how this led to a sort of um organizational deficiency because you know it's just too few people trying to do too many things and and trying to connect with people on a basis that only um sort of tangentially uh connected to what their lived experience was um it's like policies that most americans would support right like you know getting rid of private health care that kind of thing but not really connecting to the atomized reality of people today. Um, uh, It's it's kind of like, you know, what we see right now where you have these big strike actions that are happening, you know, in many countries, um, and there is a fair degree of militancy being seen among unions, but that isn't accompanied in any way by um the involvement of individuals who are not unionized right who are atomized uh i don't know to what extent like that is or is not the case with protests in france with this um um uh, uh pension reform issue but generally speaking like the uk you know uh uh scandinavia canada us um, it, it seems to be like, yeah, there are the organized people doing organized politics, and then there's everybody else who are sort of like, that's cool. Like, I support that in a general sense. But it's not mobilizing
0: <laughs> no totally right like i mean um it, it's been fucking weird here over the last couple of months or like the last six months or a year right like where especially over the winter where things got really fucking bad but there was just zero sense of mobilization on the ground at all really like realistically and like because like i am um, like I, I drop my daughter off at school every morning basically and like so you're, you're on that kind of yard you know and there's parents and like we're we live in a sort of middling sort of neighborhood, but, like, the school is in a kind of, like, you know, not not a very wealthy part of town at all, really, you know? And, like, um, the thing is, like, if you just kind of, like, listen in on conversations there, it's like, you know, there'd be strikes ongoing, but, like, none of these people are on strike. Why? Because most of them are unemployed, frankly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or they're, like, precariously employed. Yeah. Or, like... They're single moms, right? Like, it's who don't work, basically. And it's like... That's not, like, a fucking, you know, virtue fucking judgment on anyone. It's just, like, there's a big disconnect between, like... Okay, the nurses are on strike, but when was the last time you saw a fucking nurse? You know what I mean? Like, um... Um... And, like, and then especially during the winter where, like, you know, nobody could pay for their fucking heating. And, like... You know, you might think as a leftist, like, this is ideal conditions to organize under, but, like, you just listen to what people say to each other, and it's like, it, it's not like people, people, like, are not generally going around saying we should burn down Parliament. They're instead saying, hey, if you wear two jackets indoors, it kind of helps a bit, you know? And then they're like, oh, great, great tip, you know? It's, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird mixed bag right now where there is a lot of strike action, there is some kind of organization going on, but there's just mass non-activation amongst normal people, I guess, you know, like, and I, th- I think the same would be true if you went to basically any school in this country, like, and just, you know, listen to what people say on the playground or whatever, or while they're waiting to pick their kids up. Um, yeah. 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 And, and, and
1: so the, the point that Nunes is making then is that, you know, we can focus on these quote issues around social reproduction that cut across society and constitute transversal identities, debts, public transport and health, housing, Um, you know, we can focus on them in a way that is not, um, primarily about, uh, the party, um, and getting our people in government, um, uh, but instead is, is more about meeting people where they are. Um, and, you know, potentially that will have a, um, a legislative component to it um in some party but that shouldn't be the core of it because we just don't really have the organizational basis in workplaces to build a mass party anymore like the the mass party um yeah it it just it just uh has been hollowed out and and it seems like a lot of the proposals to rebuild it are sort of just kind of like wishing it into existence without there being a basis for it to exist uh at, at the moment.
0: Yeah. The whole the whole neocode fucking moment, you know, like I mean, like what is it aside from wishful thinking, honestly, you know? Ugh, yeah.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it says um Nunes says, taken individually, each of these issues can function as a pole of recomposition, a space of politicization in which different organizing cores are at work to provide different entry points and complementary possibilities of intervention, helping shape a social base that shares a broad analysis, an understanding of itself as part of a single struggle, ties of solidarity, and the willingness to, to take different kinds of action. So it's kind of like, it's not, it's like, it's, like, it's not a mass party. But maybe it's like a pack or a party in the sense that like Marx means it when he's talking about parties in in his writing before there were sort of um SPD, uh formal uh centralized political parties. Um yeah.
0: Um, there's one other bit I wanted to kind of bring up here that's I think maybe a page before that um, it's it's close to the end but like um, the, the author draws a parallel between the iron law of oligarchy and the second law of thermodynamics basically that like um, quoting here that like oligarchy like entropy is the statistically most likely state in a system that ceases to receive new inputs of energy that is of collective potentia right and um you know, this is for, this is for a couple of reasons, right? Like that, like there, there is a, in the same way that like physically there's a tendency towards entropy, uh, organizationally there's a tendency towards oligarchy for a couple of reasons that like, um, it's never the case that like the totality of a group, it decides or acts. It's always, it's always like, par- decision is always partial. Um, le- leadership, the leadership function is, you can't ever get rid of it, but it's always at risk of consolidating and that, you know, uh, organization itself is always lumpy anyway, right? Um, what this kind of means is that like uh oligarchy is always a risk that you have to kind of organize against and that's true with or without the party right this, this is the weird thing that again scuppers the horizontalist like as they kind of propose that like if we don't have a party we won't be at risk of oligarchy it's like no you still will have a big risk of oligarchy even with the party or without it the party then is is orthogonal to the problem right like it's just a free variable you know
1: it, it it is like it is and I would but I would say that with a caveat, which is um if you look at the Leninist Party, I would say it's not orthogonal to the problem because because of the way from the get-go it enshrines structures that reinforce hierarchy and power centralization. It it's never going to, like it's like that sort of Looking at the problem of a kind of like contentless uh, party form, right? Like you know, just the party in the most general sense of like you know, people get together, they make some kind of constitution, and they try to interact with the state uh, to to achieve political aims, right? But if you look at like you know, Leninist party constitutions, without exception, they always lead to hierarchy in a fair hurry. Because it's it, it's there in the constitution, like the, the 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 form itself is hostile to democracy. So you know, I just want to add that caveat there that like not all party forms are equal in that regard. While the point is generally valid, yeah
0: it's it's um well like i think the 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 background radiation for for the author here is that you're trying to steer towards democracy and away from oligarchy but like leninism doesn't even fucking try it's just like
1: well it says it 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 says it tries though right like it 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 it, it talks about democracy and so i think it's important to make the caveat that like without exception every leninist party ever has tended in the same direction with a rapidity that you don't see in the general sample of political <laughs> parties and that is because of basically you know how Zinoviev set up the original or not the original but the the modified uh Bolshevik program that would be used in the common term um and, and uh, so you know it's 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 not it's like it was written at a time when that consolidation prog- uh, process was well underway, um, and was was oriented in the same direction. And we just really do not need to use that form.
0: Um, Oof, got you know, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on to chapter seven: radically relational. The problem of fitness. Um, a fair chunk of this chapter is about populism but then what what the author's really trying to extract is that like um in in general terms political projects face this problem of fitness like 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 you know fitting to their environment and like achieving things in context and like uh being able to stage their interventions so as to be maximally effective as a chain and all that kind of stuff right but like um
1: yeah it's sort of You know talking about being fit to the task or like fitness in the survival of the fittest kind of sense right but like there is a match between your capacities and your environment in such a way that it um promotes your success and and survival and so on
0: yeah all that good stuff and then like populism and like you know especially right populist parties have and and you know left populist attempts have been the more recent iteration on, like, attempts to solve the problem of fitness, and that, that's kind of why they're front of mind for so many people, is that, like, um, because uh, the problem of fitness is not, like, a well-understood concept in the ecology. It's in instead we glom on to populism, and it's all questions about, like, can the left do populism? That's the wrong question. It's, like, how, how can the left do fitness properly? Um, and we can extract lessons from populist movements or populist parties, but, like... Keep in mind that what what we're really getting at is the problem of fitness, not, like, should we do populism, yes or no?
1: Yeah, and there's also, like, the thing where when Laclau and Mouffe sort of originally came up with this idea, um, you know, they're uh, quite influential scholars on the left, you know, they, they were sort of Um, very influential in the early 90s ongoing to today and and coming up with sort of strategy and theorization Um, and uh, when they came up with this idea of of left populism essentially like the minimum definition that they were working with was that um, it was a politics that was not beholden to the technocratic, um, the technocratic prejudices and sort of like worldview of neoliberalism at that time, where like politics that wasn't just about like economic optimization was not a valid subject of discussion, right? That that that, that it had that like that dimension of politics as anything about um like debating ends as opposed to simply means um was inadmissible right um and and then uh Nunez adds that in addition to that sort of minimum definition of like let's just do this different politics they also smuggle in a bunch of their own prejudices about uh what the right, uh, way to do politics is and what the, what the right organizational forms are like. You need a charismatic leader, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, this other stuff that is, um, external to the original definition of just like having some room to debate ends in politics again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and like what the author is trying to do with the analysis here is kind of scrape off a lot of the the top layer there and like get to get to the core of what actually matters, which is the fitness bit. Because like the reason that like you know the reason that like left populism is even on the table is because we recognize some of the success of right populism, right? Like where yeah, it, it's a challenge to the existing order of neoliberalism. It's something that appeals to. Uh, people's real anxieties and real needs you know it, appeared, it appeals to familiar uh familiar familiar and familial concepts you know of like family and all that kind of shit right and we, we see the we see the traction that that gets and then think can we do that on the left um and then that's where the move come in i guess and then the the author's like no, no step back from the shit for a bit like think think about think about what those things were actually achieving like in terms of fitness and you know so i mean one of the sections here is about the um you know this this objectionable aspect of populism of having this like um these like leaning on national identity and it's like well you know like in the sort of like psychic space there are these like attractors that like you know uh, human thought tends to glob onto. So, like, you know, national identity or the family or justice or whatever are these, like, concept attractors that you can then play to as, like, you know, this this is what I'm going to hang my hat on for my political project. But, like, you know, it seems that for populism as such, like, the national identity stuff seems to be pretty essential to that. But then if you're just addressing the problem of fitness, then really any attractor would do, right? Like, you could, um you know for um oh i don't know for for climate stuff you could say like preservation of nature that's a kind of a a conceptual attractor that's just as just as good right like you wouldn't need like if we go down the route of saying we need to do left populism we've already committed ourselves to nationalism you know the family religion all that kind of shit that like you know the 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 good old-fashioned attractors but like if you instead think of it in terms of fitness you, you can pick and choose the attractors you're gonna try to sink into
1: yes Yes, yes, exactly. And I mean, yeah, it's like, well, if you sort of look at like what movements have been successful, they don't necessarily have a basis or like a sort of common identity that forms around the nation or the great leader. Um, These are just kind of um, prejudices that Laclau and Mouffe bring into their analysis. And like, they have this like so-called deduction that they make about like why this is necessary. But like, I don't know if it even qualifies as a deduction. Like I, I can't, I can't quite find it here, but it's, it's essentially just an assertion. Like there's <laughs> it's like, it's so, the, the logic is so sketchy that it's like, is this even a deduction? Like, I I I I feel like you're just asserting things and putting them next to each other and claiming that it's deductive. Um uh yeah, so um I think that uh you know these these attractors can be quite variable, um and we don't need to do this sort of like blue labor shit of um, Uh, Like, oh, yeah, let's actually just be, like, super hostile to immigrants because that's what, you know, the stupid trolls need in order to buy into our politics. Like, it's so, like, oh, I hate that shit so much. (laughs) It's It's like everywhere in the... It's everywhere in, like, sort of centrist left social democratic politics and there's always this tendency towards it and the right, like, to go... uh, sorry, in the right of the, 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 the socialist movement. And it's like, yeah, it's exactly as you say, right? That like there are various attractors and these are potential ones. But it's also like you can, if if you have an alternative attractor that is strong and your movement is active, then you can actually like redefine and recontextualize these sort of like um core associations like
0: family work blah 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 right um price nation yeah cuz like i mean what's what's going on in britain at the moment is that like you know the tories are obviously fucking scumbags and like their whole thing is like nation fucking you know traditional family and all like kind nothing of and like their their thing is like well if you elect us we're going to burn all the immigrants or whatever and then labor their are like count, counter campaign in fucking quotes is basically to imitate all the same stuff where like labor are now just as fucking bad on immigration and they're saying we're going to burn all the immigrants forgetting that like fully half of fucking Britain is, like, immigrants and people of colour or whatever, you know, and it's, like, that's a sketchy fucking way to go. Like, what they could do as a, you know, a strategy that would probably work a lot fucking better is pick a fucking different thing of, like, no, we're gonna elect us and we'll give you, like, economic fucking autonomy, we'll give you freedom from the predation of this uh, this insane fucking system will, will, you know, bring energy prices down. We'll do all this kind of stuff like that would be a much stronger fucking attractor. And I mean, one of the things you could do there is make, make the enemies attractors look like clown shoes. Like, I mean, you guys are, you guys keep going on about the fucking traditional family or whatever, or the fucking nation. Like who gives a fuck? These are the things we're concerned about, which are so much more up to date, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's always the thing with, with with labor where like they concede the point about like all of these attractors to the enemy because ultimately ultimately they agree with them. <laughs> then, then, you know, when it comes to things like the nation or the family, uh uh Labor would probably actually agree with the Tories on most things. Um and 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 so it's not just that they fail to they fail to contest these points uh or or feel that they need to or feel that they they need to associate with them as hard as possible in order to create an emotional core for the party they actually agree with them too um and that's it's oh, it's rough uh but um yeah the, the deduction that that is mentioned here is uh Laclau reasons, if an assemblage of heterogeneous elements kept together only by a name is, quote, necessarily a singularity, and, quote, the extreme form of a singularity is an individuality, then the equivalental logic leads to singularity and singularity to identification of the unity of the group with the name of the leader. Yet, that deduction fails to demonstrate that the passage from singularity to the extreme form of an individual must always happen. Right? It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so... It just doesn't follow. It's like, okay, so, first of all, is a party an assemblage of heterogeneous elements kept together only by a name? It's like, mm, not really, right, like, it's not only by a name. (laughs) Because you know what? This might shock you, but but political parties change their names sometimes.
0: (laughs) Like... (laughs) It's like... um... It's like the stuff from the earlier chapter of, like, um, the kind of, uh, like, what was it, like, the, the sort of Freudian notion that, like, the, the group is bound together by, like, the central symbol of the, the leader or something. And then versus the Spinozaist kind of notion that, like, it's, it's a kind of mutual mimetic contagion that binds the group together. Like, it's the horizontal relations among people that make the, the group a thing. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's it's not to say that the name is meaningless,
1: because, like, obviously these, these symbols do hold effective charges for people, right? Like, in the sense that, you know, if you're having a debate with somebody and, um, like, you identify as... The enemy, right? Like you, you know, you're talking, you're talking to a Republican. You say, "I'm a card-carrying Democrat," or you know, whatever. Um, uh, Then that will trigger a certain kind of like hostility towards the outgroup, right? There, there is an in-group out-group dynamic that is formed around a name. Typically, like even if you look at something like Occupy, which had no real organizational structure shared among the different groups, um, they still had a sense of being a movement because they shared a name. But that is an exhaustive theory of organization, right? Like it's exactly as you say, right? Like there is actually these horizontal connections between people and actual like organization between people that is also in play, uh, beside this symbolic logic. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to start from this, like, very flawed process, uh, premise of, like, you know, this kind of extremely theory brain, like, (laughs) um, everything is just symbols, like symbolic supremacy, Point of view with that LaClau and move have always been so invested in, and then to go well, therefore clearly we need like uh, a you know a big man leader uh, who is you know this like <laughs> we need a name they have a name <laughs> Whoa, problem solved. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's real it's like what a it's like what a fucking toddler would do or something you know what I mean like it's
1: just uh, i don't like it's like i don't know if like we really need to go as far as to base our whole organizational approach on this one point um and like there is a certain thing to like the idea that the symbolic leader of a group has a kind of like cohesive influence on the group's identity, but also on like the sort of behavior of the members of the group, right? Like there is something to this idea that like, you know, the Obama era and having Obama as a president actually conditioned a kind of behavior in people, uh, Americans especially, but also other people. And it would be the same with Trump or whatever that like, somehow like the personality of the leader does rub off on the people they lead. And that, that symbolic position has some meaning, but, but, uh, you know, this is why like countries have heads of state, right? Like, like you know, like a a republic as a president or a constitutional monarchy as a monarch, is that like you do need some kind of person to stand in as equivalent in some way to the whole group, but that doesn't really imply anything about what their actual leadership function is, like because they can they can just be there to symbolize the group. And it doesn't have to be the same as like in the France or in France or in the US or whatever, where there's a very strong uh connection between that leadership position and actual executive power. Um and 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 Laclau and MOC seem to be arguing that that like no, those things actually need to be identical for populism to be effective, but I don't really think that's true. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's certainly not true that it's necessary for a political project to be effective and to be fit. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, you look at like um, the, for instance, like the independence movement in India, those things were so separated, right? That, that you had, you know, Gandhi as this figure who many, many people got invested in and had a kind of uh, name association with the movement. But there were so many leaders of different parties and stuff that were actually making political decisions um, within the context of that movement, and Gandhi was not like deciding things for them. Um, and, and I don't know; it seemed to be reasonably effective at like getting <laughs> the British out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of what all this is about. Like, is because like um, one of the critiques here is that like. populism is so often just like not really the radical break it claims to be it's just a smokescreen for more of the same institutional practices and that you know like like even if a left populist party gets elected it's not going to get anything done which brings you back to the question of how do we get things done which is we're back to square one right like back to the strategic wagers and back to the ecology of the movement um and like you still have the same old problem of like how how can we give ourselves direction and get beyond immediate demands? And like getting a fucking left populist party elected just isn't it's a it's a sidestep. Like it's a crab move or something. It's not really anything relevant. so left left populism just isn't relevant. like, and fitness is not identical to populism. Like like a populism might, like, be seen as a like historically specific instantiation of like an attempt to solve the problem of fitness but we shouldn't be putting our flashlight on that so hard to like just, just fucking move on and think think about fitness first and yeah forget this populism shit
1: yeah they, like they're um they're talking about like sort of the dilemmas of leadership um Leclerc and move and and they say like uh Well, they say in one case, the leader loses legitimacy because they are seen as favoring their own particularity over the universal, right? So they're corrupt, you know, they're they're, they're enriching themselves and their family over the people or whatever. In the other, as their name is the only thing holding popular identity together, they cannot act without pitting one part of the chain against another and must therefore remain inactive lest they be seen as taking sides, right? So just the sort of supremely like this, this this serenely non-involved, uh, useless figurehead, right? Um, because they collapse the symbolic and the organizational, however, Laclau and Booth cannot see that this double limitation applies only to weak leadership, those situations in which leaders are constrained by the will of the collective because their lack of potestas forces them to constantly seek their approval. The analogy with the empty signifier makes all leadership appear as weak because it neglects the properly organizational power that a leader might have. Once they have that power, an apparatus of enforcement, for example, or a large mass of faithful followers, the analogy breaks down. Um, This is where we hit upon the greatest problem of Lacau and Moose's approach. By using a theory of discourse to think the political, they often end up treating the non-discursive features of politics only metaphorically, emptying them of all specificity. So it's like okay like you know i guess those things exist but like they don't matter cuz they don't fit into my like symbolic deductions um and 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 so you know it's like you there there there's actually more dangers to having this strong leader um that Leclou and Mouffe want um than they would admit because they don't take into account anything about organization and just, you know, treat everything symbolically. Um, and, and therefore, uh, you know, maybe the party is not the solution to everything. Having the charismatic leader is not the solution
0: to everything. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, not everything is discourse. Um, yeah, I don't know. This, this, this stuff is nuts. Um, so yeah, it, it's another one of these things that kind of gets scraped off of like, well, no, the, 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 you just you don't need the leadership position. You don't need the charismatic leadership. You you do need leadership function, but um, yeah, trying to trying to figure out how to how to make this particular kind of left populism work is is a, is a dead end. Uh, what else we got? Um, yeah,
1: I, I mean, I think essentially it is it's just to say uh, oh we well um, you know, the other rejoinder to McLeod and move is of course that you know. We want to have this, uh, you know, ecology with these organizing cores and, you know, we want to have the, the, the movement of leadership around and all this kind of stuff. And, and we can, we can organize on these kind of, um, reproductional issues. Um, we can have movements that are about addressing issues like climate change as their name, quote unquote without actually having a charismatic leader, um, uh, that, that is a thing that exists. Um, it's not to say we don't have leaders, but we, we don't necessarily need like a, uh, Chavez, um, to, to, to run everything. Um, but then we get into this point about tension, um, which I think is the sort of last major point of the book. Right.
0: Yeah. It's good. I like this. Um, yeah, this is one of the best parts. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. How does it start off? Because like it, it goes a couple of different places. Um,
1: um, yeah. So essentially, we get um, we 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 start out here uh, with a typology of political forms, right? Uh, of 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 leadership. Um,
0: right and it's it's excesses and uh the the kind of dyads of like excess and lack of leadership and strong and weak leadership is that how it works out or no function function and position so you you have you have like a a problem of too much function and too little function and then you have a problem of too much position and too little position
1: yes exactly exactly so um the first point here though is that like this sort of um, um, two-axis matrix is uh, misunderstood as being a dyad, as being a one or the other thing. So there's actually another dimension here that people are missing. Uh, He writes that, um, so the very idea of tailoring one's message to an audience or flexibly applying a principle to some concrete situation might seem suspicious to some. It brings to mind mendacious cadres telling their constituencies, now is not the time to demand any more, or the unctuous world of spin doctors, focus groups, and obsessive triangulation that has done so much to to mainstream far-right discourse. It is perhaps not hard to feel that fitness suggests the conciliatory opportunism and unprincipled cynicism of self-appointed leaders. A long catalog of examples predisposes us to a scheme that pits masses with an inexhaustible and unambiguous radical potential held back and betrayed by their spineless, unscrupulous representatives. What makes that possible in each case are the same conditions. Abuse of trust or invested power, unaccountability, a lack of reciprocity between leader and base. Political timorousness and the abandonment of principles are thus symptoms, perhaps even necessary ones, of the pathologies of excessive leadership. Yet experience also teaches us that this schema's clear clear moral plurality can be misleading. Anyone who has been involved in labor or community organizing will know that it is often the leaders or most active members of a group who will have to work hard to break down the fear and passivity of their neighbors or coworkers. People, uh, sorry, people, capital P, people can be brave or afraid, radical or resigned precisely because no essence of quote unquote people exists. The fear of echoing the idea of consciousness from without, like that Leninist idea of you got to bring consciousness to the people, uh, often makes us uneasy about the idea of trying to bring others over to our position. And yet what we criticize in politicians who compromise with bigotry and intolerance is their unwillingness to take a clear stand, even if that might go against the tide of opinion and their own potential voters. In fact, if we fault post-politics for at once concentrating decision-making power in the hands of small cliques and reducing politics to endless modulations of a narrow range of possibilities according to fluctuations in public sentiment, Is that not the same as accusing it of too much and too little leadership at the same time? Top down and centralized on the one hand, devoid of a vision or strategic orientation on the other. Is it not both things at once? And so then this is where you get the, the um, leadership as function versus leadership as position. Uh, And then the other uh, poll was The uh, too much and too little. Yeah. So um, he says uh, put together these two different dyads provide us with four extreme combinations, the iron fisted leadership that bends the situation to its will as in Stalinist collectivization, the unaccountable leadership with a uh, conciliationist attitude, the third way. So that would be, you know, too much Stalin, too little third way. Yeah. Position too much, position too little, right? Um, leadership. Yeah. The weak leadership that poses little challenge to the status quo as in voluntarist NGO campaigns. So that is the one uh, that is um, uh, function and too little. And the weak leadership that directs collective efforts towards maximum rupture, uh, Bakunin's invisible dictatorship, Tekken's, uh imaginary party. Um so that would be the function and uh too much uh yeah, so those are your four um political compass points, according to this uh schema uh, <laughs> uh and uh so um essentially uh we proceed from there into this discussion about tension right um
0: mm-hmm. See, he says that like the it's the second of the two diets that's going to interest us here. So it's function, like how do we steer between too little and too much function, um, and that's that's how you get to this ten- tension stuff, which is really fascinating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, so you have this superior threshold and inferior threshold. Um, so the superior threshold is so okay. So we start here. Uh, thought exclusively and in terms of its compatibility with existing conditions, the problem of fitness would correspond to one of its poles. If it is to work, an inflection introduced into a situation must be sufficiently compatible with it. That is, it must be materially feasible. It must be comprehensible and desirable to a large enough number of people that it can produce the desired effects and so on. This condition establishes a superior threshold. A modulation of collective or aggregate behavior cannot be too discontinuous with existing conditions, or it will not be viable. If it is too different from the situation it is in, it cannot transform it. So, you know, it's like, um, uh, I want to implement a comprehensive economic planning system, uh, communist economic planning system tomorrow. you know, it's, it's over the superior threshold, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, and then, um, then we have the, the inferior uh, threshold, right? Um, so uh, the change that is introduced cannot be so continuous with this situation and its goals, practices, ideological justifications, ecological effects, and so on, as to leave it pretty much the same as it is. So, you know, it's that uh idea of like um um uh, having a revolution to make everything exactly the same, right? Like uh a sort of contentless revolution. Uh the the um um I think about like uh uh kind of like when um revolution is used in um like marketing uh slang or uh uh you know sort of greenwashing would be another example of like the minimum threshold right like nothing actually changes it's not even really worth paying any attention to um because it's under the minimum threshold
0: It's, you know, it's stuff like trying to solve homelessness with an income tax credit or some shit like that. And like, or even like, I mean, um, a recent example here was like, you know, Scottish Parliament tried to get like a... Reformed to the gender recognition recognition act and it's like for trans people that's like a fairly small thing like it's just an administrative kind of thing and it's like it didn't change that much and like it still got shot down because the tories are evil or whatever but like they would have been better off going for something more audacious you know <laughs> because like it was it was barely a change to the status quo
1: yeah and then the other one i can think of is like the Meidner plan the 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 idea of um sort of using uh like uh pension funds Uh, held by unions to progressively just like buy out capitalism bit by bit. Uh, It's simultaneously like over the maximum threshold (laughs) and under the minimum threshold where it's like the, the, the goal is not tangible enough, but then also the means by which it happens has like no everyday um, impact. Right. Um, So, like, full communism, but also, like, this is going to happen through, like, compound interest and just, like, you know, like, you'll have nothing to do with it at all. It's just going to come out of your, like, income tax at the end of the year kind of shit. Like, it, you know, it was defeated because the people who wanted to bring it into into effect had no popular support because it was sort of out of these thresholds, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that kind of brings the author on to, um, like, a, a way of thinking about this It uh, comes via Simon Don's encounter with information theory, and, like...
1: Specifically is, like, reading of Shannon, right?
0: Yeah, so, like, for Shannon, like, information is encoded by the transmitter, basically, like, it, the transmitter decides how much information is there and, like, sends it, and then whether it's received or not is a kind of whatever, but for Simon Don, it's, like... The, re- the receiver is involved in decoding the information. Right. So that like um, information needs to be sufficiently distinct from um, expectations that it actually counts. But it can't be so distinct that it just looks like noise, you know, um, painting in very broad strokes there. Like it's um, there's a kind of negotiation between both ends to count of like what, what counts as a message depends on what the receiver is capable of receiving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like. In Shannon's conception, there's a sort of mathematical definition of information as the degree of, what is it, uh, uncertainty, right? And in that, uh, like, a message has more information um, if it is more unlikely to occur against uh, just uh, sort of background noise right like the 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 you know static on the on your radio right that kind of like random fluctuation um the the less it is like that uh and the therefore the more uh unlikely it is because if you just leave a radio going you're going to get white noise right um that's the baseline and then the op- the opposition to the baseline is is the information um but the problem is you can have something that is uh simultaneously very high in information in that sense but also uh incomprehensible to the recipient um uh, it doesn't actually count as meaningful information um it's like you know if you um you know it's like if you uh um Sorry, speed up a highly complex piece of music too much. And it just becomes noise, even though the actual statistical probability of it existing is still very low. It doesn't actually contain information that will be received by the listener.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, so Simon Don's innovation there is to introduce like a window of comprehensibility. So like the, for, for Shannon, there's like noise as the floor, and then there's kind of an infinite amount of information above the floor. But like for Simon Don, there's a window of like, you have to be above the floor, but below the ceiling in order to count as information or as like decodable information.
1: Yes. So then um, uh, what you get is uh, a property that Simon Don uh, calls hate. Uh, he- he- Hate, hey, Cassidy, hey, Cassidy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Or more usefully, perhaps more pronounceably, uh, <laughs> a tension of information. What makes it so that this is information and is received as such, well, that is not received as information. But equally, the property that a scheme has to structure a domain of propagating in it, of ordering it. So it's like efficacious and also within those... Um, Maximum and minimum thresholds
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and and like the way the kind of minimum threshold is is um phrased here is quite interesting that like if it's if if it if it 's below the minimum threshold then it's too close to the system as it exists and it's too it's too close to recurrent reality or it's it's too close to baseline reality, so like um an example that popped into my head while I was reading this is that, like, if I were to say to you that the sky is blue, that, that's fine. That, that is a statement and you, you received it, but you didn't really receive any information because it's just... Um, a truism. Yeah, it's a facsimile of the system as it stands. It's a facsimile a facsimile of consensus reality, and I haven't really communicated anything. If I say that the, the sky is beautiful, that's sufficiently far from just a... You know truism that it contains information right like and you've you've learned something from what i've said yeah
1: it's uh it's 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 less likely that the sky is beautiful than the sky is blue right because it could be blue and any number of other aesthetic properties
0: right Mm mm-hmm so that that statement is in the middle of the window. That's that's comprehensible. Whereas if I say that the sky is schlem, then suddenly we're out of the window of incom- of comprehensibility, and like there's no information there because it's too far from con- consensus reality to have any grounding. Like it's not it's not grounded in any way. Um,
1: uh, yeah, because it's it's outside of the linguistic lexicon, right? It's it's so improbable that it's actually.
0: Uh, not comprehensible. Yeah. It's, it's so improbable that you're going to think I've had a stroke. That's what's going to happen. You know? Um, and I like, I like this notion of like distance from reality or like a, like a speech act in order to have, and to convey information has to be distinct from just a, a basic truth about the world. Like it, it's, um, it's, it's kind of an odd thing actually, right? That like, if you just say a truism, there's no information there. Um,
1: yeah. And this is the thing that I have always really, uh struggled with with um like neo pronouns and why I don't use them uh, it, not to say I don't use other people's neo pronouns as best I can but I, I don't use them personally uh even though I identify as non binary because um it, it, you're essentially making that schleem statement uh expecting it to be meaningful. And then if everybody does the same thing, it becomes like a more and more and more and more complex uh, encounter to meet anybody. Um, And I think I have a pet theory, which is rather than neo-pronouns becoming the norm, what's going to happen is actually kind of what happened with English, where um, you had the meeting of uh, Scandinavian languages and French um, in England, and both of them were gendered languages, but they gendered different things to two different genders, right? They mapped different things to different genders. And so keeping it like straight in your head, which thing was which gender was so complicated that people said, fuck it, and they just removed gender from announce uh, as an association. And so that's why you have English being one of these outlier languages in Europe that is not gendered. And I think similarly, if we have a greater plurality of uh, genders, which can still happen, it's it's easier to keep track of than neo-pronouns, I think we'll actually see a simplification of pronouns down to people using they instead of he or she uh instead of instead of gendering people by pronouns um because uh it actually allows that window to uh remain fairly um workable' it's, it's not too high variety uh while also respecting people's uh gender autonomy right like their ability to define their own gender um Uh, and, and, and yeah, so I, this is the thing I've, I've just really struggled with politically because it's like, well, I want to respect your, I want to respect your decision to, uh, uh, identify by way of neo pronouns and, you know, your ability to define yourself against a society that's really repressive. But I also kind of think that on a sort of information level or like information theory level, this is quite unlikely to become, uh a universal or sorry not universal but a, a, a generally um used way of communicating uh just because it, it it is uh it it's very high variety for um everyone to have not only neopronouns but pr- potentially neopronouns that change from day to day, week to week. Um yeah, if you have a if you have sort of 50 people you interact with on a regular basis Especially as somebody with ADHD and or bad working memory. That is a very daunting prospect to me.
0: It is, right? And like that's actually the example that was in my head when I was reading this 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 paragraph, 'cause like I mean, I'm trans, I'm always thinking about trans shit or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's um and, like, with, with, all the, with all the same caveats that you've laid out, like, I mean, I, I want to respect people, yeah, yeah, to, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, it does, it has always struck me as a kind of profound kind of power fantasy <laughs> that, like, you know, it, 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 we walk around in this society and everyone has their weird tuning that's happened in their brains that, like, um, it conditions them to respond in certain ways and stuff. But none of that's going to apply to me because I don't want it to, all right? And there's not going to be any trouble that falls out of that either, it's like I mean, yeah, just think about it in information terms, it's just not gonna fucking work, right? Um Yeah, like I can I can understand it as a sort of
1: um as a sort of like performance art as like a kind of a, a kind of social provocation of of like basically saying fuck you to society. Um uh and 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 sort of throwing people off balance by way of saying like, no, no, like I am not like you. I am not like the norm. I am different. Uh, I I just don't think it's going to become more than that um, because it's not really something that seems to be in line with the way that people think and process information on a very fundamental, like, um, uh, neurological level, right. Uh, that, that, that uh, like, I, I know people hate it to appeal to bio truths, but like, it's just kind of true that there's like, there is a sort of upper superior boundary to variety that we can process. Um, you know, we've seen this in sort of like avant-garde music and I don't see why it would be different per se with, uh, pronouns. Like, I'm not saying there could only be, you know, two or three or four or five or six or even seven or eight, you know, like there could be quite a number of them, but I don't think they could be, you know, endlessly, um, uh, variable.
0: Yeah. And like, it it is a good example of this kind of, the, the kind of political thing here that's being pointed out as like improbable and and, and like unworkable, right? That like it's so far outside of like comprehensibility. It's so far outside of practicality that it's just not going to get any traction. And if you're deeply invested in that, you're just going to make yourself sad ultimately, right? Like, I mean, I like, I mean, I went through what you know what I what I call an extended hostage negotiation with trying to be non- non-binary or whatever. <laughs> um, ultimately, I I won that negotiation in the end, which was nice. But um, I found it hard enough to get anyone to fucking use they. You know what I mean? Like I mean, yeah, 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 so that's the kind of upsetting aspect of it, I guess, or whatever i mean it's, it's it's just it's just a reality, but it can be upsetting that, like gender is a thing that's not just inside you, right,' like i mean it's it is something we feel personally, but it's also something that happens with other people, and it's well, i mean that like that is both why it is meaningful and also why it is traumatic, right, like <laughs> right. because it <laughs> yes. is
1: actually. A thing that is both core to who you are as an identity, but also is a social reality that you have like a heteronymous relationship to, Um, and that's why it is so painful. Um,
0: Yeah, and like when when I was kind of going through like the kind of like trying to figure things out phase, I kind of I, I kind of tripped over the same thought, right? That like oh, I I could decide that my gender identity is the SHA-256 sum of, like, the first four characters of some fucking thing or whatever, or, like, the, you know, the Today's Date or something. I could decide that, and that that could be my internal understanding of myself, and it would be absolutely fucking meaningless, because what other agent in the world is capable of understanding that? And that's... We are agents among other agents, right? Like, and there's an unfortunate thing where there's negotiated sort of windows of possibility, um... Yeah, it,
1: it, it. I mean, it, it's yeah. It's not. It's not meaningless in the sense that you have self-understanding, but it's meaning. it it's it's like maximally alienated, right? It's, it's meaningful to no one other than yourself, um, and 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 that's a very that's a very that's also a very painful situation to exist in if that is like really the identity you subscribe to that makes you completely opposed to all the rest of humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. And like. If somebody genuinely experiences themselves that way, then like, I don't know, go with God or whatever. Like it, it's, I'm not going to yeah. necessarily oppose that. But like, for me, it was, um, it was a kind of crushing realization and, and it, it ultimately led me to the realization that I was, tr- I was doing this hostage negotiation that like, if I was really honest with myself, I was a woman and I was desperately trying not to admit that because we live in a horribly transphobic world, right? Um... And so, you know, I I felt for a while that maybe if I tried to be non-binary, it would be a kind of, like, 80-20 thing. Like, if I get 80% of the upside for only 20% of the downside, maybe it'll all work out. In the end, I found it to be even more alienating than trying to be fucking cis, you know, but that's just me. If somebody genuinely... Like, I feel for people who genuinely experience themselves this way, and, like, it is maximally alienating. But I, I don't know what to do about that.
1: It's kind of been my experience where... You know, uh, kind of like what we're describing in this chapter, like, um, as opposed to the sort of, like, man-woman dyad, it's like, like, I would locate my gender identity, yeah, somewhere along that continuum. But also like somewhere along another continuum, like a y-axis that doesn't have
0: anything to do with those things. And uh, uh, it's a complex number, right? Or it's an imaginary number, right? You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so it's like it doesn't um it's uh what should I say? Like uh it might be more appropriate to my self-conception to use a neo-pronoun. But like I'm using the pronoun they because it's the best compromise I can make with society as just something that is like purely, um, uh, what, what should I say? Is is purely negative in its definition, right? That it is like oh, it is simply unclear as to what the gender of this person is it's not to say like like to me it's like it's not that they implies a gender it just implies that the gender is indeterminate in the same way that you use they to refer to people in the singular in regular english usage if you're not sure who they are or don't know very much about them right? Like, Oh, it's, 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 there's someone over there. They blah, 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 blah. Like you can't determine their gender by looking at them from a distance. And so you use they, because it's indeterminate, right? Like that's, that's the sort of thing that non-binary means to me. And it's just a con it's, it's, it's just a compromise with like people's understanding at this point in time. And, um, you know, for me, it's like, Yes, it it can be hard to get people to use that pronoun because of convention, but it doesn't. It, it's not it's not a problem at, on that information theoretic level that we were discussing. It's more people being stubborn and, uh, than it is um, a matter of people being overwhelmed by far too many things to keep track of um even though they may claim otherwise it, it like you know we we use they in the singular sense already in english without even any bringing any extra politics into it and you know uh even the even the pronoun she was a was an innovation of fairly recent times so you know it's uh it is it is definitely um a political problem more so than one that is based in neurology.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's one we can probably make progress on, right? And um, and I, I like that that like it's it's kind of non-specific, right? Like it's um, and it's it's a compromise, right? Like that, um, you know, e- even if you have something very particular in mind for yourself, um, you, you gotta settle for something that's actually speakable by others, right? Like. Um, and because that's that's the thing is like your pronoun your pronoun gets used on you by others. It's not something that you use for yourself terribly much. You know, um, it's a funny thing about that. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I mean, de- depending on the language, but at least in English, yeah. But yeah, and, and it's not. Yeah, it's the, the the core point here is that like uh any any political project or even any speech act that's just outside of the window of comprehensibility is not really actionable at all like so you gotta wonder what the point of the thing is right like if it's if it's not something that's actionable then what what are you really getting at um yeah oh yeah well
1: again it 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 can be purely a a provocation uh a sort of avant-garde art act a vanguard art act if you will but it, it is uh it's a separate aim than um, a universal uh, acceptance, um, but uh, 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 this does actually bring us back to our main topic of discussion, though, because like <laughs> this upper threshold and lower threshold is like you know exactly as we are discussing here, it's applied, it's taken from the domain of information theory and then applied to the political realm, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and. In, in the realm of, like, political change, like, change requires tension, and that, that tension is when it floats between the, those thresholds. It has to be sufficiently distinct that it's noticeable but not so distinct that it's noise. That tension is required to do any kind of change, right? Like, you have to um, the change you're aiming for has to not just be a repetition of the status quo, and it has to also not be completely unachievable. Um, and so the, the art of navigating political change is the art of navigating these tensions. And, you know, the art of selecting those strategic gambles that we were talking about earlier, that's the art of, like, figuring out what the tension is on any of these things, right? Like, um, you'll be able to grade different strategic gambles based on whether they're more or less, like, suitable in this window.
1: Yes, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, so then, you know, you're kind of trying to maintain um, tension at all times politically in order to affect transformations, right? Because if there isn't a tension... It it both implies that that um yeah, it's either too much meaningless or it's too much like the environment also meaningless. Um and, and therefore uh uh it wouldn't like because there is no like meaningful difference, there's also no effect. It's not efficacious in any way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um the next section is pedagogy of the fish. Um or I guess it goes over like the yeah pedagogy and kind of like how, how you teach with this kind of tension and like how you like stimulate consciousness in others
1: um sort of yeah it's 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 uh based on uh, pedagogy of the oppressed right um you know the super 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 famous um uh text that uh, is used in like education programs everywhere um uh was it freire right yeah paulo freire um and is saying that, like, um, we have to understand Freire as advocating a kind of um pedagogical method of tension that is um, not just about teaching, uh, but that leadership and teaching are implicated in with each other because. Um as i said before if you're outside of that maximum or minimum threshold of tension you're not actually efficacious and given the definition of leadership that we've been working with so far in this podcast of of like you know the leadership the leader is the one who like diffuses a change who who leads um uh, in 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 changing something um it sort of means that like there's a connection between um saying something unknown, saying something uh that is informational, that is above that minimum threshold, teaching, which is obviously transmitting new information to someone who didn't have it previously, and acting. Um uh the, these things are all sort of um coherent with each other in the terms of that sort of informational, theoretic, like tension idea. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. And it kind of, it relates then to the, like the function of a vanguard, right? Like kind of navigating this kind of tension, um, trying to, trying to teach as much as you can without blowing it out. Um,
1: yeah. There's this, uh, the statement, um, there is process because there is tension and there is tension because there is difference. Um, that you know, this is kind of acting tension and difference are all important concepts, and it's sort of like that thing of um, mm-hmm. if you come to somebody and you uh, uh, say, "I'm going to take a student centered learning approach," right? But you push that too far to the point that you are just repeating back to them what they're saying to you and you don't provide anything new, you didn't challenge them in any way, it's as bad as coming to them with the perspective of, like, you know, I'm an elitist prick, I know everything, you know nothing, if you can't catch up, if you can't follow along with what I'm teaching, then get the hell out of my classroom, right? That is the sort of maximum threshold, right? Like, uh, oh, it's elementary school, I'm going to teach them advanced calculus. like. You know, it it is like, like, why, like, Timmy, why can't you get this? Like, what are you like inferior, uh, defective? Um, yeah, so this is, um, it's these two sort of sides of bad teaching. And then in the middle, you find, um, the, the position of tension and, you know, this is something that's kind of non-obvious, I think, to teachers, um, uh, because you, you kind of need to approach a classroom through like lesson plans and stuff. And so you need a certain amount of theory in what you bring to your classroom that you maybe don't have a theoretical conception of when you're engaging in everyday behavior and and, and, and like following sort of normal social scripts. Um, and so it is it is useful to know these things. But then, of course, this also applies to being a leader in the activist sense. Um, of trying to change something socially
0: yeah yeah and um i think there's there's a nice kind of point at the end here where it's like um that it's it's not a the middle ground is never stable it's always like you're discovering what the midpoint of the window is in context um and that's going to change over time as people learn um or situations change um the window might widen or narrow it's a kind of ongoing discovery process
1: yeah. And it's like, you are, you are, ver- it's very much a thing that is like the golden mean in Aristotle or in virtue ethics, right? Where it's, it's saying, yeah, there is a golden mean, but the golden mean doesn't mean be a centrist about everything. Uh, the answer is always in the middle, these kinds of, um, uh, fallacies, um, it's actually finding the mean point of tension, which can be all over the place when you look at it from situation to situation. Um, and being, you know, virtuous, having virtue in that like really old school sense of, of be, like basically being efficacious um, or powerful uh, is about you know, being able to read your situation and find the right point of tension to affect things.
0: hmm Yeah. Um, and in, in a given moment it might be better to push more, and another moment it'll be better to hold back more. Yeah, who knows, you just have to discover it as you go along. Um, I think the last section then of the chapter is radically, relationally radical. Um, in which the the author kind of advocates for a, like, um, experimental... This, this is kind of where it's getting to wrapping up, like, it's kind of um, just kind of reiterating some of these concepts, but um, advocating for an experimental politics that's, um, like, situated in context and sees everything relationally, and it's, like, adaptive radicality, because, like, there's really no point in being maximally radical. There's no point in being, like, just a baseline kind of reformist or whatever. Um, this experimental and adaptive form of radicality is just much more... Of, Efficacious than 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 a lot of what we've been up to over the last couple of decades, you know.
1: Yeah, and and so like this isn't radicalism in the sense of like those like politicians that identify themselves as radically centrist, right? <laughs> but it's also not radicalism in the sense of taking the most extreme position in every situation. It's like radicalism of I want to cause. The best, or sorry, like the most change in the direction that I envision as sort of my utopia, my, my positive aspiration, um, at all times. And, 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 and so it's more about the, the degree of efficaciousness is radical as opposed to the program or the the political position um uh in terms of yeah I'm on the ultra right or ultra left or whatever. So, you know, it's kind of like you know, Lenin's rants against ultra left ultra leftism, but I think it's probably better stated here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I mean, there's a few other interesting bits here, I guess, like that, um... You know, in in modernity or like whatever, the revolutionary tradition that was imagined that you could put an end to history or whatever, and it's just like no, like this this really is just an ongoing process, and we have to be kind of okay with being embedded in a in an ongoing process and and conceptualizing our kind of like our efficacy as like a, a chain of actualizable potentials that expands towards our goal. Um, like there is there isn't going to be anything that redeems history or puts an end to it. We can just pick our goals and work towards them.
1: Yeah, and like. Um... It's not to say that history can't be epochal. It's not to say that history doesn't have phases or stages or whatever. But um, uh, and, and it's also not to say that um, everything proceeds bit by bit towards a, a, a fixed goal, right? So it's not it's not the sort of um, Bernsteinian like uh, revisionism, right? Where it's just the goal is fixed. The goal is there. We just use the most moderate means possible to get there, right? It's actually saying, no, the goal is not fixed. The horizon of history is open. We just conceive of the best goals that we can at this point in time. We may adjust those in the future. And uh, we need to realize that there can be um, uh, setbacks that we face historically, as well as advances Um, And we need to be sensitive to our current moment, as well as whatever potentials we perceive in
0: the future. Yeah. And uh, like one of the final points that's made is kind of um, the author picking on uh, the kind of left melancholia um, angle again, that like a lot of what we've got is a kind of desire for immunity right like um we either kind of make make a kind of argument for exceptionalism or like we, we kind of disavow organization entirely or we say like through special pleading that well my favorite kind of leftism is special and it's it's never really been tried before and it's 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 it's, it's uh exempt from criticism because of that and it's it's all like a desire for immunity and like we have an alternative, which is to just get over it, like get over our desire for immunity and get kind of to be okay with having our hands be a little dirty in the meantime and getting stuck in uh, with like taking strategic gambles and trying to actually organize.
1: Yes. So in a sense, it's like a very unsatisfactory answer to the question of like organization, right? But at the other, on the other hand, that's kind of the point of the book, as was stated at the beginning of it, is... It's not trying to give you the one true organization. It's just trying to give you an orientation towards organizing, Um, how to understand organizations, how to understand their context, how to understand action relative to them, how to understand leadership, how to understand uh, uh, individuals, uh, how to understand antagonism. that kind of stuff is what you get out of this book and not, um, you know, the new great model that will uh, allow you to solve all problems on the left. The closest thing you get to that is that idea of organizing around reproductive issues. Um, But again, that's kind of situated within our moment politically and it, 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 it's, it's kind of um, uh, marginal to the point of the book. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like it's possible that, like in a different moment, organizing around reproductive issues would be a big mistake. You know, like it, it leaves the window open for that. Like it's just in this moment, this is the the correct way to go.
1: And and, and it's not just like it's also not saying that like organizing around a mass party in workplaces was the wrong thing to do at a time when workplaces were enormous and people tended to stay there a long time and they had lots of connections to each other. Right? Like it's just, the, the context is different. The context will be different in the future. This is not a prescription for all time for the future. It's just, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what we can see in terms of like, maybe there's a potential here. Maybe this is, this is going to be successful for now. That's it
0: yeah uh there is a small conclusion at the end of the book uh i don't recall there being any new information in there but do do you have any anything else you want to bring up from there no not really
1: it's kind of just saying like oh hey since i started writing this book things sure have gotten bad haven't they uh actually we need these ideas more than ever um and and then recapping what is in the book um but i yeah i don't think we need to go over it
0: yeah that's neither vertical nor horizontal. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's I think it's good stuff. Um I don't disagree with much in there, you know? Um I there's very few bones to pick. Um
1: Yeah, I I could see how it could devolve into a very kind of um like it could easily devolve into like a defensive mediocrity and opportunism in the way that like you know he's...
0: and left unity shit or whatever yeah. yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah and like the the kinds of things that he says like are typically associated with uh, thinking in terms of fitness right triangulation that kind of stuff I could see how it could devolve into that but that would be a misunderstanding of what the book is saying right. Um, and and so I don't have a problem uh, with the book on that level because it, it's trying to say something subtle and uh, that could very easily be misinterpreted when it's like turned into a bloglet or a Twitter post and then shared around and becomes you know, um, a polemical, uh, hobby horse or something like that. It it is, it, but that's not a problem with the book. It's just the problem with trying to say something subtle about politics.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I mean, it, it could have, it could have the same problem that like, um, you know, where like all the Jacobin folk read, um, McNair, like revolutionary strategy and then went all in on the DSA somehow, you know, like, It 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 would be possible to misread this book or to you know distort it to whatever program you've got going on.
1: That's the thing too with the sort of superior threshold or the upper threshold, right? Is um, not only could it be well, not only could the recipient fail to recognize what is being said, it could also um, misunderstand what is being said (laughs) if it's if it's just far enough over that threshold where it's like this is meaningful, but also uh i completely interpreted it in the wrong way um yeah so uh yeah
0: there it it's a tricky book in many ways you know um there's some subtle subtle passages um
1: yeah there there's like one point where like the author says something to the effect of like you know leaders need to be able to listen as well as lead and it's like that's such a like you know management textbook tourism and like i feel like a lot of these things very much could be reduced down to, like, platitudes and PowerPoint slides. But again, it's like, that's not a fault of the book. When you actually think about the thing in some context and depth, then it becomes clear like, what it's actually saying and how complicated that is to apply. Um, as opposed to just like, Oh, it's a little slogan that you can post paste on your office wall or some shit like that. Um, and, and, uh, um, you know, this is, this is exactly the same sort of problem that I, that I faced with trying to like teach virtue ethics. And in, 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 when I was teaching ethics in university is like, um, it seems like platitudes to people to especially, especially like, um, uh, young people who haven't had a ton of experiences in their lives, right? Have led a fairly sheltered life. It's not to say all pe- young people are like that, but for those who have led a fairly sheltered life who haven't had to really confront like like you know extremely difficult dilemmas and 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 made major fuck ups and like had to live with the consequences. It seems like platitudes, but when you're actually in a dilemma. You've realized that things like you know um deontological ethics or um um uh, utilitarian calculus don't actually give you useful information, and the thing you have to fall back on is like the virtues you've learned through your life experience um like it, it, it's in some ways it's like If it is solvable through a calculator or through the the sort of situation-blind application of a principle, then it's not even really an ethical dilemma, right? Um, You can just sort of solve it algorithmically. But then when you get to real ethical dilemmas, you kind of are left with the maddeningly simple but... practically incredibly complex problematic uh, uh, of virtue
0: yeah we only we we only ever decide the undecidable right because like if it's decidable then you don't have to make a decision (laughs) it's it's an algorithmic process at that point um but yeah i mean this is the theme of the book i guess as well that like uh this the the, decision and strategizing and, and organizing are just this like ongoing process you just you play the process forward and discover what the next step is there's no real there's no prescribed because kind of, like again if it was if there wasn't a, a sort of easy answer for it you wouldn't have to go through the process right exactly yeah but like you know, we're, we're in this like ongoing process of discovery um that is just not shortcutable wait for the next one you can find us on twitter at giunitpod you can find us on the web at generalintellectunit.net you can find us on facebook and all the podcast apps so like raise and subscribe if you'd like to support the show and get access to our community discord you can go to patreon.com slash and throw us a couple of bucks a month every contribution is greatly appreciated this show is part of the emancipation network a marxist podcast network and research collective Go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows such as Swamp Side Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Gemsuit Utopia, and Mortal Science. They're excellent shows and excellent folks. Once again, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this show, and we hope you'll join us again next time.